All right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Galatians 5, uh, we're looking at the subject, blessed are the peacemakers. And we have learned that God is the ultimate peacemaker. Uh, he sent Jesus Christ in order that we might have peace with him, peace in our own hearts, and then peace with those around us. And he calls us, as we've seen from Matthew chapter 5, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we've been called to do. And we looked at a number of passages already that talk about uh, the call to be a peacemaker. And we started looking at the process of reconciliation or the process of going from conflict to peace. Now remember, God has a purpose for conflict in your life, okay? Uh, we live in a world that is naturally full of conflict because we live in a broken world. Um, but God has shown us the pathway through his word, how we can reestablish peace with people through which or that, uh, where relationships have been broken. And if we will believe God and follow his plan, uh, that will enable us to help start repairing those relationships. Now, relationships involve two sides, right? Uh, we can do as much as we can. Doesn't mean that the other person will reach back out and allow us to establish this, but we have been given a pathway where we can seek peace and see it happen uh, or give it the best chance of happening, at least as far as we are concerned. The Bible tells us that we are to seek peace as much as depends on you, and that's what we're trying to do. And so we're looking at um, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5, which we're going to look at in just a minute, okay? But what we want to learn today is that peacemakers follow a biblical pattern when resolving conflict. And we're going to look at those principles. Already started looking at it last week, and we're going to continue to look at it, okay? And here are these four principles. I'm going to give you all of them right up front so you know where we're going. Uh, motivation. Well, we've already looked at that one. Uh, then we looked about examination then restoration, and then finally reconciliation. M-E-R-R, -R, mer, motivation, examination, restoration, reconciliation. Now, originally, I had uh, three additional principles, determination, evaluation, and restoration, D-E-R. But then I realized it spelled murder, and I didn't want anyone to be confused. And it says, how do you make peace? Well, you murder people. Uh, that sent the wrong message. So we're just going to throw those other ones out. Of course, you know I'm kidding. Uh, and <clears throat> first of all, we looked at the idea of uh, motivation. And to it, I'm going to back up right there, okay? Motivation. Um, our motives and our methods must be biblical in order to glorify God and do good. Remember, that's always our goal, is our motive is to glorify God by how we handle conflict and then to do good unto others. <clears throat> and then we started looking at examination. We got a few of those principles under our belt last week, okay? We learned that peacemakers let love cover as much as they can. And we looked at several passages that say love covers a multitude of sins. So we're not going to nitpick people over smaller issues. We're going to learn to train our hearts to say there's many times in which people aren't trying to start conflict. Maybe they say something hurtful. Maybe there is something they do which is painful, but in love, like God did for us, right? We're going to allow love for that person to cover it, okay? Um, then we also looked at how, according to Matthew chapter 7, remember we looked at that really uh, um, 
neat teaching in Matthew 7 where it says, hey, before you go and try to take a piece of sawdust out of someone else's eye, make sure and remove the plank or the log out of your own eye. And so we learned that, first of all, we have to apply God's word to ourselves before we expect others to do as much as they can in order to make peace. We have to make sure and apply the word of God to ourselves. So that enables us not to judge others harshly. Okay, we're not judging other people harshly. It says, first, remove it in your own eye first. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to be hard on others and easy on ourselves because we think, I'm a good person. I'm not trying to start drama, but they are. But we're going to be careful there. We're not going to judge them harshly. We're going to judge them instead fairly, or we're going to apply the truth fairly both to ourselves and to the other person, okay? We're not going to assume wrong motives, and uh, we're going to judge ourselves by the same standard. So that's the first two principles. Now, let's Let's get into some new territory here as far as blessed are the peacemakers, okay? And that's this, peacemakers admit when they are wrong. Now, this is still building on what we learned in Matthew chapter 7. So I realize that our verse for today is Galatians 6, but I'm going to finish some of those principles that we already looked at. So I'm not going to relook at that passage. I already explained it. I encourage you to look back uh, <clears throat> at that sermon, and you'll be able to see what we talked about. But it says... it examines, and it says, remove the plank in your own eye first. So we're going to, first of all, admit that we've got a problem, right? We notice that there's, in fact, a plank in our eye. So we say, this is where we're at fault. So we start by owning our part of the conflict. Now, uh, that means we readily confess our sinful attitudes, our sinful actions, even if it means that you feel like only 10% of the problem is with you and 90% stay is with the other person. Now, I understand where, uh, the thinking that we have, okay? And it's something like this. Okay, if I'm 10% wrong and they're 90% wrong, they have way more responsibility to reach out to me than I do to them. But you see, a peacemaker isn't trying to say, I want to do as little as possible or as little as I have to or only what I'm responsible for. What they're going to do is this. Even if only 10% is your fault, you acknowledge the 10% and you reach out and say, hey, I'm willing to go first, even if you think the other person's more at fault. So you say, hey, I'm sorry, this is where I've wronged you. Will you please forgive me? Now listen, what that does is that opens up a pathway for them to also then to say, you know what, I'm wrong too. It, it's called making it easy to make peace. And that's what we have to do. Let's try to make it easy for people to be able to reconcile with us. If we're, uh, imagine if both sides are demanding that the other person be the first to go. What happens? Nobody does. The relationship is ruined. But when both sides say, hey, listen, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong and this is where I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? Now we're starting on the pathway of reconciliation of putting that relationship back together. So when we do confess, it ought to be genuine. It ought to be biblical. It ought to be thorough. Now, this is what we like to do. We're like, okay, I'm going to admit a little something, and then I want you to admit a lot of something. <laughs> but listen, if we're really going to confess, we need to be willing to be thorough about it and say, hey, here is all the ways that I've wronged you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Uh, and we're going to be careful about how we, respond, how we say that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, too often is what happens is we say things like this, I'm sorry if I hurt you. So we're kind of hedging it a little bit, kind of trying to save ourselves from fully admitting, well, I guess 
if you're hurt. I mean, it could be just you. You see, we, we want to remove that kind of language, if I hurt you, or maybe I was wrong. Well, maybe I was wrong. I'm not willing to really admit that I'm wrong until I see what you say first. We want to get rid of that. Uh, saying things like, let's just forget the past. I, I don't have to say I'm sorry. I did. Let's just forget, act like it never happened. Folks, that's not helpful. <laughs> that's not helping us make peace because we're never acknowledging what caused the problem in the first place. So what does a person think when a person uses hedging language? They're like, they're not going to change. They're not really saying they're wrong. And if they're not really saying they're wrong, why would they change and do the right thing? So we have to be cautious. We have to be, listen, we're going to have to be willing to put ourselves out there. Peacemakers are willing to risk someone saying, because this is what we're all afraid of, isn't it? Hey, I'm wrong. Will you please forgive me? Oh, yeah, you're wrong. I knew that from the beginning. Finally, you admit it. Finally, you make it right. And then you're waiting for them to say something, and they're like, okay, I'm glad you said that. All is forgiven. Let's go. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. See, we're afraid that we're going to go, and then the other person won't admit their fault. But listen, because we're seeking peace, we're willing to put ourselves out there, put ourselves at risk. Now, we'll deal with the attitude where they say, why was it wrong? You were, so I'm glad you said something about it. We're going to deal with that in just a minute, okay? And we also don't say things like this, well, I yelled at you, but you made me so mad. See, I'm a nice guy, but you bring the worst out of me. (laughs) You see, that's hedging language. That's saying, hey, listen, um, I got mad, true. I yelled, it's true, but it's because you made me angry. So really, it's casting the blame on the other person. Um, And you say, how in the world am I going to do this? I mean, this is really hard. I admit it is. But listen, this is the beauty of the gospel itself. This is the beauty of understanding what Jesus did for us. Uh, We see this even in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God, what did they do? It says they went and they sewed fig leaves together and tried to cover themselves with that. But they were still too ashamed. They, they, they tried to conjure together some kind of covering for the faults that they had. Uh, you know, hey, you know, I realize I have shame. I realize I have guilt, but I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to kind of cover it up with these puny leaves. <laughs> but God does something so much better for them. You see, he sacrifices an animal, and then he gives them the skins to cover them permanently. You see what I'm saying? Uh, the gospel offers us so much more hope than just trying to defend ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking it's not my fault, it's their fault. The gospel allows us, I mean, it keeps, the gospel keeps us from deflecting the blame. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. Oh, God, I, I wouldn't have sinned, but you know, that woman you gave me, it's her fault. And then Eve's like, oh, no, 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 it's the snake which you created. That's what got me. You see, they keep on deflecting it away. It's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Really, they were blaming God. God, you allowed these things, and that's why I fell. But God gives us something so much greater. In that picture of, at the garden, he pictures something that is so beautiful that is explained well in the New Testament, and it's this. God's going to provide a substitute so we don't have to cover ourselves anymore. We can be honest. Because the fact is, is we're forgiven. Once you realize that you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, or forgiven by God through Jesus Christ being our substitute dying on our behalf, we can finally get real and say, I don't care if another person tries to blame me. I know how I stand before God. I stand before God forgiven. And we can start getting honest with ourselves, honest with other people. 
Now, I want to give you seven things. I know this is going to be rapid fire. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot in a short period of time. But <clears throat> if you can, we'll try to make it available on our website so you can get some of these notes. I'm going to give you eight things that show when genuine confession happens. When, when you're really ready to admit that you're wrong, here's eight things that are going to happen, okay? The eight A's of confession. Try to say that real fast three times, okay? Address everyone involved. Whoever's hurt by your actions or your attitude, you need to make it right with all of them. Now, sometimes we're like, well, I'm just going to talk to one person, but there were three or four involved. Everyone who's involved, you need to be willing to say, I'm sorry. In, in my case, there were times where my bad attitude meant it was not just toward my wife, it was toward my kids as well. So I had to gather my kids and said, Daddy had a bad attitude. <laughs> Will you forgive me? I've asked God to forgive me, and I'm forgiven in Jesus. But I need to ask for your forgiveness because I've wronged you too. Avoid the if, but, and maybe. We already talked about this. That's language where you don't fully take, you don't own your part of it. <laughs> You're trying to deflect. Admit specifically. Don't say, yeah, I guess I could have done better. Better at what? I guess I shouldn't have done, acted badly. Acted badly how? Whatever it is, I raised my voice. I was angry. I was irritated. Tell people what you did wrong. I should have never said that to you. Name what you said. Listen, without that, people don't have hope that you'll really ever change. They just feel like he's making excuses or just basically trying to make himself or herself feel a little bit better over their bad behavior. Acknowledge the hurt. We need to realize that, hey, my words and my actions have hurt someone specifically. I've hurt you. Will you please forgive me? I've hurt you. Admit that what you did. We try to minimize it. We try to say, hey, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. Hey, other people say way worse stuff. Don't do that. Just say, hey, what I said hurt you, and I'm really, really sorry. Even maybe say, listen, I saw as soon as I said that that you were hurt, and I'm really sorry for that. Accept the consequences. That's when you know real confession has happened. When a person says, I was wrong, I'm owning it, so whatever right, whatever things I have to do to make it right, I'm going to make right. Uh, we see this with Zacchaeus. Remember when, when uh, Jesus went to his house and, and Jesus shared himself with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus started repenting of the evil. He had been a guy that had wronged a lot of people through cheating them. And he says, listen, if I've wronged anyone, I repay back fourfold. He said, I'm going to make it right. Matter of fact, he is actually going beyond. The law in most cases only demanded threefold. He actually says, you know what? If I took someone's sheep without, that was wrong, I'm going to give him four of them back. He was willing to his own hurt make sure it was right. Why? Because he was owning the consequences. He was accepting those consequences. And then alter your behavior. Can I say it this way? Don't just be sorry. Be different. Because if you keep on doing the same things over and over, people after a while start to believe you're not really really meaning it when you say you're sorry because you keep on doing the same things. Now, it takes a while, people. They struggle and they keep on trying. If you see them working on it, give grace. But listen, as far as you're concerned, you've got to change the behavior. Ask for forgiveness. This is a very humbling thing to say, I know I was wrong. I admit it. I'm asking you, you will forgive me. We're putting ourselves into that person's hands, so to speak, to, to grant us forgiveness. Now, we, we are forgiven of the sinful part of it by God. But if we've wronged people, we also have to make it right with them. 
That's part of the love God and love your neighbor, right? So ask for forgiveness and then allow some time. Just realize this. Um, even though you want to reconcile very quickly, maybe you want to resolve things very quickly, sometimes it takes other people a little bit of time. This is hard for me because I tend to be the person that wants to get it right away. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Let's just go back. Let's just go back to where we were. I hate being in this, this conflict. But it takes other people time. They might have to process it. It may take them time to, to really come to the point where they're able to forgive you. Listen, if it's not about you, but it's about the relationship, you'll be willing to allow some time. And it's hard. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> so those are some things in which we can genuinely confess. Now let's talk about restoration. Okay, so we've dealt with uh, the motivation, glorify God, do good. We've talked about examination, looking at our own heart, admitting our own faults in the issue, right? Applying God's word to us first. But now we're going to look at how do we help other people who have wronged us, okay? Because that is part of it. Listen, we're not just talking about forgiveness, we're talking about reconciliation. Now, you can forgive someone and still not be reconciled, and you should. Like, if someone wrongs you, you can say, listen, I'm going to I'm going to not hold that against you. I'm going to choose love instead of choosing to hold against you. But if that person never reaches out to repair the relationship, then there's no reconciliation. There's just forgiveness. There's no, and this is what people want. I don't want to say I'm sorry, but I want you to act like nothing ever happened and let's go back to where we were in our relationship. That does not happen. That's forgiveness. It's not reconciliation. And if you're not willing to reconcile by going the full distance and saying, I'm sorry, then don't expect that other person to be able to then say, hey, our relationship's going to be repaired. But listen, if we do it right, if we do it in a healthy way, you know what happens? Our relationship gets even stronger. It gets stronger because we've weathered a storm, we've handled it right, we've understood each other's hearts, we've actually, in love, been able to put aside the hurts that happened to us and able to humble ourselves and show that we, are, we want good for that other person. They begin to trust our hearts because they realize that person really wants the best in my life. They're willing to humble themselves to help us restore that relationship. And so I, I want to just mention three things here. The first is be compassionate, okay? Compassionate, constructive, and clear. So this is, what do we mean by restoration? This is how I can lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their part in the problem. Now, listen, this is not where we start. We start with owning our part, and then we say, now I want to reach out so we can help you own your part. Because again, if, there's, if two sides have wronged each other, both sides, in order to have reconciliation, have to have restoration. Restoration, where do I get that from? Well, I mentioned Galatians chapter 6. Turn there in your Bibles, okay? We want to see what God has to say about these things. You know, what I love about the Bible is the more I study it, the more I realize it speaks to real life, everyday life. Uh, it's not just an ancient book written for ancient people. It was a book that God gave that has, is eternal, that, that it, it helps every generation of Christ followers. So Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, okay, uh, in this case he's trapped by some sort of wrong, sin, you who are spiritual restore, that's our word, restoration, such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, 
he's deceiving himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Each one shall bear his own load. And that's uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And what do we see from this? Well, notice what it says here. And we're taking this truth and we're applying it to conflict. In this case, it says if a person has committed a trespass, a sin, in this case it would be a sin against you. Now listen, peacemakers also are able to help step in and help other people reconcile as well. Matter of fact, one of the, the, the wonderful things about learning to be a peacemaker is oftentimes God gives you the opportunity to help bring peace in other people's lives, to help apply these principles to other people's lives, and it's a beautiful thing. Because uh, a lot of times people don't know how to communicate in a healthy way. You're helping in that process. Now, am I saying you should uh, jump into everyone else's arguments? No, you need to be invited into that. Uh, but you can really breathe life. You can breathe health into the people around you by being a peacemaker. And so what does it say here? So he's overtaken in fault. Those who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. So we're going to be gentle gentle in our restoration. We're not, we're not saying, hey, dude, you're broke. I'm going to fix you. <laughs> not at all. Uh, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, hey, listen, right now there is this sin that you committed against me, but we're going to work through it together in a spirit of gentleness, and we're going to see this relationship restored. This isn't, a, a, this isn't from a position of superiority, well, I'm better than you, so I'm going to fix you. It's not like that at all. It's saying there's something broken. Let's walk down that path together and see God fix it. It's a really beautiful thing. He says, ye who are spiritual. It's not meaning here, hey, there's this elite sort of Christian, the spiritual ones, and they're the only ones. What it's saying is this. Make sure when you do it, you're doing it spiritually. In other words, you're in the spiritual state. Your heart is in a place where you can do it biblically and filled with the Spirit, not just handling your problems, humanly speaking. Because, listen, we can make things worse if we do that. But now we're saying those people who are committed to handling things spiritually and biblically, he goes on to say, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Listen, you can end up getting angry in this and responding wrongly. Keep that in mind. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to become angry in this because it's going to do more damage than good. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this other person has this weight bearing down on them. They're struggling. They're angry. The relationship is broken. What you're doing is coming alongside, helping pick up that heavy burden with them and carrying it. Now, later on, he says, and each one shall bear his own load. Now, here's the picture. You ever carry a backpack? You know, you, you put some things in it, maybe it weighs 10, 15 pounds, you put it on your back, and, and then I'm not talking about like that, you know, two-week camping backpack, you know, frame backpack. We're talking about this normal backpack. You put that thing on, and it, uh, it carries the essentials you need for the day, and oftentimes when I ride my motorcycle, I'll throw some stuff in my backpack so I have stuff that I need. And so uh, think, think of that as the second bear your own load. But the first one, which says bear one another's burdens, uh, you ever try to move a full-size couch by yourself when you're moving? I've not been able to do it. Now, once I get it in the house, I can maybe put it on coasters and kind of, you know, uh, those furniture sliders and then kind of slide it into place. 
You ever try to walk up a flight of stairs with a full-size couch and then try to get it through a doorway? That is a back-breaking, frustrating, and sometimes, Lord, please help me not to lose my spirituality because I'm about ready to lose it. <laughs> kind of frustrating experience, right? Okay, that's the kind of burden he's talking about here. He's talking about something that you can't possibly do by yourself. Something's broken. You need someone to come along who will love you and say, come on, let's go down this road together. It's, very, it's a beautiful, gentle, humbling and, um, picture of, of people working together. And so that's what he's saying here. He says, if you think that you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. So don't think yourself, hey, I'm all right here. I'm more spiritual. I've, I've made all the right choices. They've made all the wrong ones. He says you're deceiving yourself. Examine your own work, then you'll have rejoicing. So you need to look at that. We've already kind of ex- examined that from Matthew chapter 7. And then, um, then each one shall bear their own load. That's the backpack, right? So there's a certain amount. It's saying this. Be willing to admit that you have your own struggles, you could make the wrong choice and make this worse. So going to it with your eyes wide open saying, God, I need you. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to help anyone. I'm just going to make things worse unless you help me. That's the kind of humble attitude we're looking at. So understanding these principles, let's talk about being compassionate, okay? Being compassionate. Uh, affirm the relationship. Affirm the relationship. The first thing we do is say this. I want you to know I love you, and that will never change. I love you I care about you. That's why I'm talking to you about this. Sometimes because people are defensive, they think, oh, you're just trying to put me on blast here. No, 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 no. Let him know right off the bat, listen, I'm talking to you because I love you and I care about our relationship. Now, what you don't want to do here is threaten. You don't want to give ultimatums like, hey, either you fix this or I'll never talk to you again. You've just backed yourself into a corner. And plus, you know what that says to the other person? This relationship is probably never going to last anyway because if I do the wrong thing, it's over. Uh, I heard recently about someone saying uh, the husband and wife got into an argument and the, the wife brought up a subject of divorce. And so basically now, now that you have this on the table, it's like, so whenever I make a mistake, that means you're going to threaten me with divorce? Listen, that does not work. We can't threaten people into a better relationship. You realize that, right? You can threaten people and get what you want the wrong way but you can't threaten people into a better relationship. Don't do that. Let them know, hey, I am, love you. I'm for you. I want this to work. I want to do whatever it takes for us to heal this relationship. Then listen well. Listen well. This lets them know that you care about their hurt as they're talking. Now, you know what one of my problems is? And I struggle with this. It's it, worked on it for a very long time. Is when the person's talking, I'm thinking about what I want to say in response. Don't do that. Because what I always did is I miss things. You miss what the person's trying to communicate. So listen, look into their eyes. When, when they say something, if you have a question, clarify it. Say, okay, well, you said this. What do you mean by that? And, and, and make sure that you fully understand their heart. When we have a conflict, the goal is to learn each other's heart so we can grow stronger in our relationship. So listen, well, um, restate what you're saying. Say, so what you're saying, say it in your own words. So what you're saying is this, to make sure that you fully understand it. And then speak the truth in love. That's part of that res- restoring process. We're helping them by speaking truth in love. We're going to say, hey, these are some of the areas in which I think Scripture's been violated. This is where we've gone wrong. This is where we've sinned. You've already said it about your life, and now you're going to have to help them with theirs and say, hey, when you did this, 
What does God's word have to say about that? What does God's word say? And you're going to have to help them see that there's some wrong done on their part. Now, hopefully they'll volunteer that because you've reached out in love. They'll just volunteer. But if they don't, you may have to go into that. So we're pursuing these relationships actively, okay? And uh, be ready for feedback, okay? Uh, They might say, here, I hear what you're saying, but what about this? Now, sometimes it's a deflection. They're trying to say, well, yeah, I did this, but you did this, okay? By the way, you know that's not helpful? If someone points out something you've done, you say, yeah, but well, you did that too. That's not helpful. Just own that part of it. Say, you know what? I did. I did. And then later on in the conversation, say, hey, you know, you brought up that I had done this. He goes, you know, I think we both are guilty of this. I think I've seen that too in what you've done toward me. So how are we, gonna, how are we going to, to the, uh, work that out? How are we going to solve that issue? And so, um, and by doing that, we're fulfilling the law of uh, Christ. I love that. It says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ is? Well, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 14. What does the law say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor. So the law of Christ is the law of love. It's loving your neighbor. That's what he's referring to. But I love that he says of Christ because that's the natural response a Christian should have. And then we should be patient. Again, I talked about it already a little bit, but realize people don't immediately see their faults. Sometimes it takes a little time. Be willing to be patient. Love allows us to be patient, but also be constructive. How, how can we be constructive, okay? Well, you got to be truthful, okay? Be honest about your part. Be honest about their part. This is what we tend to do. We tend to overstate their faults and understate ours. <laughs> yeah, I may have done this, but whoa, you did this. And that's so much worse than what I did. So be truthful, Don't exaggerate your right or their wrong. (laughs) Be honest about it. Then also be transparent. I can't emphasize this enough. You need to bear your heart to them. And that's what's scary. You know what happens when you open up your heart to somebody? They may hurt you. But what happens is, is we get to the point where we guard our hearts so much so that people won't harm us. Uh, I can't say that. I can't, I can't really be transparent here because if I do, they're just going to stomp on my heart and I can't take that anymore. Listen, yes, it means you're going to have to be willing to trust someone. But isn't that how relationships are built through trust? Yeah. So be transparent. Say, hey, this really hurt when you said that. Hey, you know, I, I realize this is an area in which I really struggle. I know that. Just be honest with them. And that kind of honesty will stir up more honesty. Um, Also, talk in person whenever you can. Uh, The problem with texting, uh, the problem with messaging and emails is that you can't see a person's eyes, you can't hear their tone, you can't see their body language. So always talk in person if you can. I think things go a lot better. You know, one of the most precious things about our relationship with God is that he talks, he says he talks with man face to face. Uh, that's a, that's the beauty of our relationship. We're able to talk face to face. Um, and so, uh, and heart to heart. <laughs> uh, also talk as peers, meaning this, uh, don't talk down to people. What I've found is people don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. When someone talks to me as though they're superior, they're, they're condescending, 
be very careful about that. I mean, sometimes it's inadvertent. And by the way, uh, inadvertently, we can end up using the Bible to be like a hammer just to bash people um, instead of being like a scalpel that really helps deal with specific sickness or disease. We have to be cautious. We're not just going to take and hurl Bible verses at people in a superior, I'm spiritual, you're not kind of way. And this can happen sometimes, and we have to be careful. Now, we are going to bring the Word of God to bear on it, because the fact is, is that's the truth. That's what we're all aiming at. So we do bring it to bear, but we have to be careful. So uh, be transparent, be truthful, talk as peers, talk in person, but also watch your tone, okay? Uh, Be careful that you're not coming across as irritated. There are some times when I was saying the right things, but my face betrayed what I was really thinking, you know? Uh, I'm trying to talk to, to my wife, and my face is doing kind of these contortions where I'm obviously irritated. It, you can send two different messages, one with your face, one with your tone, and one with your talk. <laughs> so we, we have to be very cautious and say, hey, what is my tone? What is my facial expression? Am I conveying that I love this person or that I'm irritated and frustrated at them? So, and then choose your time carefully. Uh, there are just some times in which it's not the right time to bring up a conflict. Now, be careful that you also don't make excuses so you say, oh, it's just never the right time. At some point, if you want to resolve it, you're going to have to bring it up. But try to choose a time that's better. If the person's obviously already upset, uh, if they're very tired, uh, if there's other issues going on to which they're distracted, it may be best to wait to a better time. But you can't put it off infinitely. And then be clear. What I mean by this uh, if you don't understand, ask them questions. Say, you, you said that I do this, and say, can, can you share more with me, like how I do that? Because I, I really want to change that behavior, but I need you to help me here. And by asking good questions to make sure you understand. Also, can, can I just say this? There are some people who struggle with how they word things. Uh, I've had people in my life that somehow it's just, they're not trying to be mean. They're not trying to be combative, but the way they say things it just, it comes across that way. And those people in my, I, in some experiences have said, I have a hard time saying well what I'm trying to say. So give them a little bit of grace, okay? So ask questions, and say, well, what do you mean by that? Or do I understand this correctly? Don't assume the worst. And then you choose your own words carefully. Choose your own words carefully. Now, uh, I want to hit this last thing, reconciliation. Okay, this is where we have dealt with it in our own hearts, We have a motive to glorify God, do good. We've dealt with our own issues through examination. Now we've moved on to restoration. We're helping them see by understanding and communicating clearly what the real problem is so we can deal with that problem. Now comes the part where reconciliation actually happens. And I just want to say two things. And um, the first is you need to forgive them. You say, but wait a minute. What if they never ask for forgiveness? What if they never admit that they're wrong? Forgiveness can be unilateral, meaning you can forgive even if they never ask for forgiveness. But reconciliation is bilateral. It requires two people. So understand this. The relationship's going to be limited if they're not willing to say they're sorry. But you can offer genuine forgiveness. You know what? Because that releases your heart. It releases your heart. You choose to do the right thing, and so you have the freedom then to have joy in the Lord because you've followed what God has asked you to do. And that's what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God in Christ forgave you. He uses that. Hey, God has forgiven you. Do you know what? Every single day, there are things that I've done that I don't even know that I've done that's offended God. Now, I can ask God to forgive me in the things that I've done, but even in the things I haven't done, God covers them in love through Jesus Christ. So we can do that. We can cover the wrong that people have done. Um, so, but I, we, get a, we get a little... Uh, confused about what we mean by forgiveness. I want to say this again. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. But I want to show, share with you just for a second what forgiveness isn't, and then I want to show you what it is, okay? Forgiveness isn't acting like the wrong done to you is no big deal. So we said, why well, forgive? It's like what they did to me didn't even matter. If I just forgive them, it's just going to happen over and over again. Listen, by forgiving someone, you're not saying that what happened to you is no big deal. You're not saying that. It is a big deal. And the wrong that they've done should be confessed and forsaken. But what forgiveness does is allow you to put them into God's hands and says, listen, I've done what I could. Now God's going to have to convince their hearts. God has a way of bringing people to the point of humility and confession where we can't. There have been times where I knew I was wrong, and I'm like, I'm not admitting I'm wrong for nothing. Man, I just dug my heels in and says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And God says, mm, I think I can help there. And man, he just put me through the ringer. He brought all kinds of humbling experiences in my life until, really, until I was finally at the point like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You ready to say, I'm, I'm sorry? Yes. You see, God, it, forgiveness is saying, I don't control things. I can't control people, but God can. So I'm going to just give it to God and let him handle it from here. But I am choosing to do the right thing, okay? So it's acting, not acting like no, it's no big deal. It's not giving people permission to act badly. Because, listen, every time they do it, you're going to confront it and try to restore them. We're not talking about ignoring bad, repeatedly bad behavior. It's just simply saying, when it happens again, I will again confront it. They still may not confess it, but then I can give it to God there. You're going to confront them every time, okay? Now, again, not, don't nitpick them, but also, if it's hurting the relationship, remember, if you can look back one of those previous sermons about how to decide whether or not confrontation is uh, necessary. Uh, second, forgiveness can be real even if the other person doesn't want or accept it. Do you realize the Bible says love your enemies? It doesn't say love your enemies so that they will love you back. He just says love your enemies, so there may be times in which you forgive them and they're like, I don't need your forgiveness. I don't want your forgiveness. I hate you. I don't even want you to have, I don't want reconciliation. I don't want us to have the re relationship restored. I don't care. You can still say, but I still forgive you. It's not dependent on how they act. It depends on your attitude toward God, loving God and loving your neighbor, okay? The Bible says as much as depends on you live in peace, okay? Um, they may never think that they did anything wrong and they may never seek forgiveness, but God is pleased with you. Now, thirdly, forgiveness does not mean that trust is immediately restored. Okay, and that's very, very key. Uh, forgiveness and trust are two different things. It says as much, remember it says, if possible, as much as depends on you, that also applies here. So in other words, if a person is acting untrustworthy, you don't have to give them your trust. You can forgive them. They still may not have earned the trust back. That's going to take some time. Again, two different 
issues. Sometimes people's bad behavior, continued bad behavior, makes it impossible. Remember, as much as depends upon you. You're choosing to do the right thing, but they choose to keep on doing the wrong thing. In that case, it's impossible to continue. Um, you can forgive, but it does not mean that you're reconciled because restoration has not yet been done. Reconciliation happens when you personally examine admit your faults. They then also are restored by admitting their faults. Forgiveness can be immediate, but trust will take some time. And in some cases, it would be wise to have a permanent separation for spiritual and physical safety reasons. Because sometimes very bad people use this as an excuse. Well, God says you have to forgive me. Now restore all the trust. And this person has been an abuser. The answer is no. I forgive you, but you have no trust. You've broken all of it. And you know what? In some cases, it'll never be repaired. Now, I know this may be controversial, but I say in, in many cases, um, adults who have abused children have lost their trust permanently. And you can forgive them for the sin committed, but they will never have that trust again, ever. That relationship can never be the same, and that person may have to be permanently removed from that person's life, and it is the right thing to do. It shows biblical wisdom. Because remember, reconciliation and trust are different than forgiveness. But I've, used, I've seen abusers try to say, well, if you forgive me, then you'll, you'll start, you know, allow me to be close to you and allow me to build this relationship. That's not true. In some cases, that has been irreparably damaged. Now, to some degree, maybe when that child grows up, he can have limited contact. But that person can forgive and not have to be around that person. In some cases, that's the right thing because that person continues to make bad choices and is untrustworthy. Now, what I'm saying is take each case individually. I'm not making a blanket statement about anything. What I'm saying is use biblical wisdom. So that's what it's not. Then what is it? It's releasing someone from the punishment or penalty for the wrong against us. I'm not talking about legal Okay? Don't let someone try to cajole you into saying, well, if you forgive me, you know, uh, although I've uh, defrauded you of money, then you're not going to try to get it back. Well, no. There's a legal issue. Well, if you forgive me, you won't call the cops. No, we will call. And you will go to jail. And you will spend a very long time in jail. Because there's a difference between the legal issue versus releasing a personal wrong. Okay? And so, let's separate those out. In some cases that... Uh, if it's just a simple matter, someone said something that came across as rude, it was something that's not a legal issue, it's, it's, it's not a court issue, it's not a, um, that kind of thing, you can uh, repair that much more quickly, okay? So it's releasing someone from the punishment. It's saying this, God is able to punish you, I don't have to do that. I'm not judge, jury, and executioner. I'm going to put that into God's hands. So how do you know if you've done it? Well, here's a pretty good test, <laughs> at least for me if I've really forgiven someone, when I see that person, what happens in my heart? When I see that person, I'm like, ugh, man, I still hate that person. I hope they don't see me. I don't want to talk to them. Uh, what do I do when I hear something good has happened to them? Do I really rejoice in it? Can I say, hey, that person, you know, I had a conflict with, and I've forgiven you, and I hear something good happen? Can I say, oh, I'm so glad, and really mean that? Or if when something good happens, I'm like, ugh, man, they don't deserve anything good. Or if I hear something bad happens to them, am I secretly happy? Like, good, that dude's totally getting what he deserves. Uh, those things pretty much tell me I've not forgiven yet. Because I'm still wanting punishment 
according to my desires or what I think is fair. I'm still judging them. We have to let that go. Okay. Um, here's the truth is, forgiven people just forgive people. <laughs> because we're forgiven in Jesus, we forgive other people. Now, I want to just end with this. Turn, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I know we've gone a little long. I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to try to try to wrap this up here. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, okay? I'm going to give you a real quick plan. When you start, when you start to get bitter, and this is what I want to say, not only forgive, but protect your heart from bitterness. How do you do that? Okay, let me, let me show you a passage that uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians here. By the way, this passage uh, mentions a relationship break. <laughs> uh, verse 2 says of Philippians, I implore you, Euodia, and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So these are two women that had a falling out. He says, listen, you guys need to, need to have the same mind in the Lord. In other words, you guys need to get back into unity with each other. There's some kind of falling out, doesn't describe it. He says, I urge you also true companion. I think true companion is actually Zizagos. It's a name. I don't think it, I, I think it should be the name Zizagos. He's saying, hey, there's some guy in the church who's a pretty good peacemaker. He says, Zizagos, you go and help these two women. Now, you men better not be sitting there going, yeah, it's probably two women because us men know how to work stuff out. No, you don't. <clears throat> we all got the same problem. It could be two guys. And by the way, we do see examples of two guys too. This just happens to be in the passage that I'm dealing with, okay? So uh, he says, hey, you go and help those women. By the way, that's a biblical principle. Having other people in the church help you resolve conflict. It really is a, a beautiful thing. He says, uh, help those women who labor with me in the gospel. So these are godly women. They, they've done much good. And Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And then he starts going in rapid fire a bunch of um, uh, commands. And this is where I think uh, we can learn, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, whatever things are just, are pure, are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, listen to this, meditate on these things. And the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. So let me just give you a couple things that you can do. Choose joy. Because you have to make a conscious choice. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is going to be hard. You need to run to Jesus and say, joy, Jesus, I choose you. I choose joy. I don't want to be bitter. Please help me find joy in you. You focus on your joy in Jesus. Focus on your relationship with him. And you know what? It becomes easier to let that go. Let your gentleness be evident, he says here. Choose to be gentle with people. You, not because they deserve it, but because God has been gentle with us, hasn't he? Hasn't he been so kind? Pray instead of worry. <laughs> he says, don't be anxious about it, but pray. Listen, if we spent as much time praying for that person as we were meditating on how they wronged us, how different our hearts would be. I'm telling you, there's, there's some people, the only way I could possibly get over the bitterness I had toward them was to pray. I just kept on praying, say, Lord, I want to focus on your goodness, not on how they've hurt me. And through prayer and through joy in the Lord and through gentleness, I found my heart just changing over time. Meditate on the truth. He says, Whatever things are true and noble and good, all these, see, what happens is this, we meditate on the situation. 
We mull it over in our minds. We get up in the morning like, oh, that person. Oh, man, what they did to me. It wasn't just that. Now they think about it, there's all kinds of things they've been doing. All, I mean, I put up with so much garbage from this person. You meditate on the hurt and the situation, and you're going to get angry. It just stirs it up. It just keeps on. It's just adding fuel to the fire. But listen, when you stop and say, hey, what do I know to be true? Okay? What do I know true about God? What do I know true about his love for me? What, what do I know? This is letting your faith, not your feelings, rule your heart. And this really helps us ground ourselves in reality instead of imagining the worst. Let me tell you something. Have you ever seen, maybe you're this person, I hope not. But have, I know I have been this at times. There have been times when I started thinking about a situation, and the more that I thought about it, the more hurt I saw, the more wrong I saw. And I took something that was probably very simple and not that big of a deal, and I turned it into a mountain out of a molehill, right? Because I meditated on it. I said, you know, the more that I think about it, you know what? The more I think about it, when he said that, I think he was really going after me. And the more I meditated on it, the more I, I became angry, hurt, and made it out of, to a bigger deal. Listen, meditate on truth. Meditate on Christ. And say, God, I'm going to let you handle that person. I'm going to try to restore at the right time. But you know what? Right now, I'm just going to not dwell on this. I'm going to dwell on Christ. And then just keep on doing the right things. He says, the things you saw in me, just keep doing them. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. Now, why do I say that? Because literally, you could go through this process. I'm choosing joy. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to meditate on the truth. Five minutes later, it comes back in your mind. You're like, and you're mad all over again. So what am I trying to say? Do it then repeat it as often as you need it. Just keep on doing it and doing it and doing it. And this is what you'll find. Over time, the hurt becomes less, the joy becomes greater, the trust in God and his justice is fully grasped. And then he says twice in this passage, he talks about peace. That's what you're going to get. That, that's, the, that's the reward for, for handling bitterness the right way, is you're going to have peace. And that's, isn't that what we really want? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your goodness, thankful for your word and how it just, it, it just helps us through every conflict of life. God, if we'll handle it in your way, God, you've promised to help us. Lord, we know that the life is hard if you do right or if you do wrong, but if we do right, you say you'll help us. You'll help us navigate it. We'll do it well. We'll learn to respond in a healthy way that makes us stronger each time makes our relationship stronger. God, if we'll just trust you and do it, God, you're so good. But Lord, most of all, I, I want to stop and just say thank you for the, the beauty of the gospel. The gospel that, that we had a broken relationship with you, so you sent Jesus Christ so that you could repair that relationship, that if we would recognize that we're sinners who have offended you, and we would believe on Jesus Christ alone for salvation, Lord, you would restore that relationship with you that would also restore our right relationship with our own heart. Our own heart is in conflict because of sin, but God, you begin to heal that through Jesus Christ. And then our conflict with others. So God, we begin to actually experience real peace in our hearts. And then we can really become peacemakers and handle things well and even be used in the lives of other people to help create an atmosphere of peace around us. And as we do that, Lord, we can see a glimpse of the renewed heavens and the earth, a, a renewed creation where you're going to bring back the harmony that was lost when Adam and, Eve, and Adam and Eve fell. God, you're going to restore that in some part in our own lives. 
And then it just reminds us that one day you're going to restore it completely when Jesus comes back. So God, thank you for this. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here at Faith Baptist Church. Uh, as always, uh, if I can help you in any way, take the next step toward Jesus, let me know. Give me a call. I'd love to do that for you. And uh, I'm nothing special, uh, but we've, I've got a Bible, and God has given us his word, and that's what's special, and we can um, walk toward Christ together. Okay? Well, thank you so much for being here. We're dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.